following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. get into the word this morning. I love times of ministry like we had this morning. And I want to encourage you to be encouraged, to, to see that and understand that, that one, we need those things. And then two, we need to be uh, pouring out those things. I mean, all of us need to receive. And I think it's amazing to, to step into that environment and receive and understand that everything that God gives is meant to be given. You know, as he's imparting these things to us, we're meant to be carriers of the anointing in order to release it in our everyday life, our words, our actions, those that we encounter. And I want to strongly encourage the pursuit of a, a lifestyle of ministry. And I, I hope to see more and more uh, in our church services as we celebrate those things together. Now, I want to let you know something, and this is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I mean, like I said, i got to have a little bit of fun, right? I mean, what good is it if we can't have a good time? So, you know, you may have come and received ministry and not heard a word the person was praying, right? That's always a challenge because you've got music going and things like that. But I guarantee you don't have to hear it to be effective. And I'm not going to offer any kind of a biblical doctrine. It's just life experience. I was once praying for a man who was deaf, and I ministered to him. And, you know, the first words he heard me speak are, can you hear me, after the prayer was over, you know. And the amazing thing was he could. And it was a really powerful, I'll, I'll tell you the story sometime if you haven't heard it already. Uh, but if you came up and received ministry and are wondering, well, I don't even know what they prayed for, it doesn't mean that God didn't impart something great. So as we walk away from receiving ministry, let there be an anticipation in your heart that I stepped forward, I stepped out to receive, and it's up to God to impart. And I want to trust and believe for wonderful impartation, for situations to change, circumstances to change, things that need to be removed from our life being removed, things that need to be brought in being brought in. We're going to continue to celebrate a lifestyle of ministry together as a congregation and as individuals. I want to get into the Word this morning, and I want us to find out a few things as we do. Now, we're, we're a group here that is anticipating receiving from God, and in that anticipation, I'd like for us to believe God to show us things in the Word. And I encourage writing some things down because oftentimes uh, we can miss what God's speaking to us in the moment, but we can revisit that, catch it, and it can be a very intimate moment with God uh, personally and individually. So if you want to jot down a few things, here's a few things that we're going to find. One, what we need to hear. What we need to hear. We need to be hearing something in our lives. What we need to hear. Another thing that we're going to find is what Jesus gives us. There's something that Jesus is giving us, and it's important that we understand what it is. A third thing that we're going to find is what we need to do with our heart. There's something that we need to do with our heart. So I want to get right into the word, uh, and we're going to find out what we need to hear. But before we find out what we need to hear, we need to identify that we have a problem, right? I mean, you can look around you in this room, and you don't have any trouble thinking, well, that guy's got problems, or, or that woman's got problems. or what, We know other people have problems, but we need to identify we've got a problem. I mean, I've got a problem, you've got a problem. It's an inherent problem. If you're a human being alive on the earth today, you have this problem. I want to find this problem. We're going to find the solution to this problem all in the same chapter. It's in Isaiah chapter 30. So we're going to identify the problem, and then we're going to identify God's solution. Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 1, it reads like this. Woe to rebellious children. 
Now, how many parents can shout out an amen to that, right? I mean, okay, here we go. So woe to rebellious children, declares the Lord. Then he goes on to describe what these rebellious children do. Now, this is my problem and your problem. Anyone who is alive today, this is the problem that we need to deal with. He defines or reveals what a rebellious child is as, as follows. He says, they execute a plan, but not my plan. It's God speaking here. They make an alliance or friendships, but not of my spirit. And in doing this, they add sin upon sin. Basically, what God's saying is they don't do my instruction. They do their own thing. And when they do their own thing, it leads to sin after sin after sin. That's our problem. Now, here comes God's solution to our problem. He goes on, if you go all the way to verses 18 through 21, we're going to read a few passages here. In the same chapter, Isaiah chapter 30, jumping to verse 18, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you. What that means is he's aware that we have a problem. And he wants to deliver us from that problem. Not just help us manage it, but he wants to bring about the full measure of absolute solution to our problem. Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. And now verse 19, it reads, O people of Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you will weep no longer, and he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry when he hears it. He will answer you. And although the Lord has given difficulty and oppression, he will now be your teacher. He will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word from behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. There's our solution. Our problem is we do whatever we want and it's not God's plan. God's solution is to bring a teacher into our life who can speak to us as we are in the process of living out our lives and provide us with direction. That's the right or the left. Which way to turn? Now, oftentimes when my wife and I or my family are taking road trips, we have a, a, a test of our faith because I really don't know where I'm going most of the time. I'm not interested in asking for directions, and I don't think she knows how to read a map, even though she can read it better than me, all right? But knowing where to turn right and where to turn left is the difference between arriving at your destination with no obstacle, no difficulty, and missing your destination and wandering around lost. God realizes that we have a problem, that we don't know what to do, we don't know where to go, we don't know how to do it. His solution is to provide us with the direction that we need in order to know where to go and what to do. And he says he's going to do this by bringing a teacher. Remember what it said in Isaiah, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher, and your ears will hear a word from behind you. This is the way, walk in it. So I want to find out who our teacher is. We're going to find this quickly in the scripture, and we're going to move through a few passages of scripture to find out today's uh, uh, message, the point of the thing that we're looking for. John chapter 14, verse 26 reveals to us who our teacher is. Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to me, and he's speaking to you. And he's speaking about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And he reveals to him, uh, reveals to us, excuse me, the name Helper. He says, the Helper, or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. 
I mean, really and truly, the Holy Spirit is meant to be uh, our, like you would have a GPS system in your car telling you which way to turn when you're on your way to a set destination. The Holy Spirit is given to help us get where God is calling us to go. He's there to direct us and to guide us. So there's a few things that we need to identify, a few things that we need to understand as it concerns this wonderful gift, this wonderful help, this promise of direction. I mean, one of the things that I want us to identify is, is what the Holy Spirit brings into our life, what Jesus brings into our life by the Holy Spirit. There's something very important. When we became a Christian, Jesus gave us something. Now, you'll remember in our list of things that we were going to find, the second one is what Jesus gives us. I want to find that out quickly before we move forward. When you became a believer, Jesus gave you something. Whether you, know he, whether you realize it or not, whether you knew it or not, whether you know it or not, we're going to find it out right now. We're going to find out from John chapter 1. I want to read verses 12 and 13. What Jesus gives us. What Jesus gives us. The word reads like this. It reads, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Now the him and the he there is Jesus. To as many as received Jesus, Jesus gives them the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Now, there's a powerful revelation there that I think we need to catch. That first of all, Jesus gave us something. This thing that he gave us, based on the English translation, is a right. He gave them the right to be children of God. I stop and I camp out on that and it makes my wheels turn and it makes me think and it starts to make perfect sense. I mean, that word right there is a Greek word. I want to read what it means in the Greek. It means the power of choice the power of authority, the power of judicial decision, or authority to manage domestic affairs. Basically, what Jesus is giving us is the ability to handle our own lives. He's given us the power and the authority to make choices and decisions. And based on the scripture here, as many as receive him, he gives them the power and the choice and the authority to be children of God. In any situation or in any circumstance, Jesus is giving me the opportunity to be a child of God. I want us to take that and consider it for a moment. To run with that. What does it mean to be a child of God? What's required to be a child of God? What identifies us as children of God? Well, first of all, we need that leadership in our life, that direction. Remember, we have a problem. We don't know what to do or how to do it. We're thrown in the mix of all kinds of things that provoke and all kinds of things that tempt. And we don't know what to do. We need that direction, that voice that tells us which way to go, that gives us insight into what to say and how to say it, that gives us the direction and how to navigate these waters that are so unfamiliar to us, though we're in them daily. I want to give you a passage of scripture of how to exercise your right to be a child of God. We have the right to be a child of God. How do we exercise that? How do we put that right into practice with our daily lives? I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. 
If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If you don't, I want to ask you to write it down and read it in your own time. Romans 8, 14, it reads like this. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In any situation, in any circumstance, for us to exercise that right that Jesus provides us, to all who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. In any situation or circumstance, that right to become children of God is put to practice by us following after the leadership, excuse me, the leadership of our teacher, the one that's guiding us, the voice that's directing us, that heavenly counsel that's giving us direction in how to navigate hard times, trial, tribulation, provocation. God's voice in our life giving us counsel and direction. When we follow after his direction, we're exercising our rights to be his children, his sons and daughters. And as we live out our lives as his sons and daughters, we live out our lives in the midst of his kingdom. I want to give us a few things here to help give us a little bit of a test, identifying are we walking as sons and daughters of God? So you can just call this maybe a heavenly paternity test, okay? And there's just a few scriptures that are, that are listed out that have to do with being a son of God or, or as, as, you know, not to leave out the ladies, you could say a daughter of God, a child of God, however you want to say it. But to identify God as our father. I want us to identify some of these scriptures and what I want us to do with these is not be embarrassed or ashamed if any of these things are absent in our life, but I want us to realize for that to be present in my life, I'm going to have to follow the Holy Spirit and not myself. I'm going to have to respond to the direction and the counsel of Jesus and not do what I want to do. So here's a few of these tests that we can, we can read through the scripture and apply to our lives. If you want to write them down, I strongly encourage that. First John Chapter 3, verse 10. So listen to the wording, and then we'll, we'll take a moment and, and break it down. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one that does not love his brother. For us to walk as children of God, there needs to be the practicing of righteousness, the love for one another. And when you see words like this, the love for your brother, let me tell you what the, the, the opposite manifestation of that is, in my opinion in this world, is racism. Where you see someone hated simply because of how they were born, that's problematic. You'll see it throughout the scripture as God identifies how ridiculous and how nasty this business is of hating your brother. There's a, a big problem with that. If we're going to walk as children of God, there's going to need to be as evidence the practicing of righteousness and the love for our brother. There's no room for uh, practiced or embraced sin or corruption or compromise, and there's no room for hatred toward our brother in any way, shape, or form. If we find that we're consciously practicing sin, if we find that we're consciously hating our brother, we can be guaranteed that we're not following the Spirit's leading. We're not being led by the Holy Spirit into unrighteousness. We're not being led by the Holy Spirit into hate for our brother. When we are being led by the Holy Spirit, the practicing of righteousness and the love for our brother is evident. Another one of these spiritual paternity tests we could find in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus is speaking, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Now we have to ask ourselves, in any situation or in any circumstance, when there's conflict that's arise, that arises, am I pouring water on the fire or am I pouring gasoline on the fire? Am I quenching the, the conflict? Am I quenching the hostility? Or am I making it burn even hotter by my presence and my being included in that conflict? Am I making peace? I'm getting looks from my wife right now. My God. You guys just take a minute and pray in the Spirit for me. It's a good thing to ask ourselves. When I am included in conflict, am I bringing solution or am I adding to the problem? If I'm adding to the problem, I can be guaranteed I'm not being led by the Spirit of God. I'm being led by my own carnal nature. I'm being led by some situation or circumstance. I'm being led by fear or something corrupt. But you can be assured no matter what it is you're being led by, you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. Because as we're led by the Holy Spirit, we'll be making peace and fulfilling the Scripture identified as sons, as God, as sons of God, excuse me, children of God by being peacemakers. Here's another one of these spiritual paternity tests, again, out of Matthew chapter 5. I want to look at verses 44 through 45. It reads like this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that, will you say so that? Yeah, so that. So now you're seeing, do this in order that this will be the case. It's a cause and effect. The cause is pray for your enemies, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. The effect is as follows, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. Now this is a, a passage that I kind of took and interpreted through my own understanding. Kind of pushed my own agenda, you know. It, it's slightly manipulative, you know. You take a passage of scripture and you think that you can kind of mold it and shape it to fit what you want to accomplish. And what I realized I was doing when I thought I was fulfilling this verse uh, was that I, I wasn't necessarily praying for my enemies, okay? My enemies were in my prayers all right, but I wasn't necessarily praying for them. I think it's really important that as we read this, we, we take the time to understand that Jesus doesn't say, pray about your enemies, right? But he's saying, pray for your enemies, and oftentimes, I thought including my enemies in my prayers was fulfilling this scripture. And you got to look at that word for, and you have to understand it. I mean, if we come into the, the congregation here, and, and we're in the middle of praise and worship, and, and sister so-and-so says, I have a word from the Lord that I want to share, and she comes and she receives the microphone, and she says, this is what God is saying to my heart this morning, and I believe we need to hear it. God is for you and not against you. This is the word of the Lord for you this morning. Oh, we would cheer and we would celebrate because it would be this wonderful reminder that God is on our side. We use the word for in that context and we celebrate it. It has to be taken in that same context and applied to this passage of Scripture that we be for our enemy. Pray for your enemy. Pray for your enemy. And I realized for years I was wasting my time whining and fussing and praying about my enemies when God was calling me to lay down all of my selfishness and all of my pride and all of my arrogance that wanted to preserve my reputation. And he was calling me to pray for my enemy. 
And anything other than praying for your enemy or loving your enemy is not being led by the Holy Spirit. Rather, it's being led by something else. For us to walk as children of God, we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit and love our enemies and pray for our enemies. There's a big difference between praying about them and praying for them. I mean, praying about them was like, Father, I lift up those dirt bags to you in Jesus' name. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would put fire ants in their bed and that you would cause their car tires to go flat and that you would just, just generally, can you give them diarrhea for a while? That would just be awesome in the mighty name of Jesus. Have, have I been? Yeah. But instead praying for, Father, I lift them up to you and I humble my heart. Any offense that I have caused them, let it be revealed to me that I might go and make it right. And will you bless them with your kindness? Let them come to know the fullness of your presence. I know that you carry the solution to this, and I ask in Jesus' name that there be no hindrance to them seeing clearly and receiving fully the solution that you have for them in this matter. Big difference, right? Praying for our enemies. Here's another one of these spiritual paternity tests. Remember, all that are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So these are things that reveal to us what it looks like when we're led by the Holy Spirit. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, we practice righteousness and we love our brother. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, we make peace. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, we pray for those who persecute us. We love our enemies. And when we're led by the Holy Spirit, Philippians chapter 2 Verses 14 and 15, it reads like this. Do all things. Will you just say all things? Yeah, I mean, you know, all things is all-inclusive. There's nothing left out. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. So that, remember there's another so that there, right? So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproached in the midst of a crooked generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. In order for us to appear as children of God, to function and operate as children of God, we need to carry ourselves through all things, good things, bad things, easy things, hard things, fun things, not so fun things, joyful things, sorrowful things. We have got to carry ourselves through all thing, things, excuse me, without complaint or grumbling. When we find ourselves complaining and grumbling, which I must confess to you, I stumble on that one often. And I'm glad I have people around me who can help me to acknowledge and respond appropriately. To guard our mouth, because what comes out of our mouth comes out of our heart. To guard our mouth for the purpose of examining our heart and allowing God to do a mighty work in our heart that complaint and grumbling wouldn't exist within our heart and be revealed through our mouth. We've got to be led by the Spirit of God in all things. And when we're led by the Spirit of God, we reveal ourselves to be the children of God by our lack of grumbling and complaint. You know, one of the things that uh, I, I've personally found, I'm not surrendering this as a doctrine or, or, or teaching it as, as a scriptural standard. I'm just saying, hey, this is just a thought. I've applied it to my life and gotten pretty good results. But I remember hearing a man preach. It was on the, the mission field. And he was speaking to a group of people, a group of people who, who did not have a lot of education, and he did a phenomenal job in presenting wonderful spiritual truths in, in very simple ways. And I want to offer to you one of the things that he had presented because it's actually had a profound impact on my life. 
He was talking about spiritual warfare and, and things of that nature. And without getting into to deep details and things that were, were, were lofty and hard to understand, he just kept things very simple. And he just made this statement, and it stuck with me. He just said, you fight a spirit with the opposite spirit. Now, that might be oversimplifying, but I've taken that, applied it, and gotten pretty good results. So if my attitude or my spirit in matters tends to be one that complains or grumbles, the way that I'm going to fight that is by bringing the opposite of complaint and grumble. I want to bring in as much affirmation and gratitude into my life as I possibly can. I want to, to, to surrender my heart to be a heart that flows with affirmation, telling people how wonderful a job they did instead of saying, you know, you could have done better. I want to be filled with gratitude so that when I open my mouth, thanksgiving flows out instead of ungratefulness that would lead to all kinds of, of uh, evil, whether it be in covetousness or just general discontent. But for us to be spiritual sons and daughters of God, children of God, we're going to have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And in being led by the Holy Spirit, we are led away from grumbling and complaint. And we're led into expressions of thanksgiving and gratitude. Here's another one of these spiritual paternity tests. You can find it in 1 John chapter 3. I want to look at verse 1. It reads like this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Now, I mean, as, as John is writing this, he, he's blown away by this truth. He's so moved by the weight of, of what God has revealed to him, the power of the revelation. He's trying to communicate it with ink and paper, and there's just no way that he's going to be able to translate what's in his heart and his mind, what is surrounding him in his environment, to those that are going to read it years and years from now. But he's trying to, with all of his heart, to say, guys, I can't believe it. I mean, I just can't wrap my mind around it. It blows my mind every time to think that God has manifest His love in such a powerful way. I mean, He's made us His children. He had every right to make us His slaves, and that would have been a massive upgrade. But He chose to make us His sons. <clears throat> and as He's revealing this with, with this passion and this urgency, He follows it with a, a therefore. You know, he says, behold, what manner of love God has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world knows us not. Because the world doesn't know him. Now, I take from that and I see that when I'm following the Holy Spirit, identified as a son of God, I'm going to look like a weirdo to the world. Can you say weirdo? There you go. Did you feel strange doing that? You didn't do it. weirdo. It's true. I mean, I have to ask myself, do I fit in with the world? Do I just blend right in with the crowd? Do I look the same as them? Do I sound like them? Do I behave like them? If I do, I can guarantee you I'm not being led by the Spirit of God. I'm being led by something else. Because based on this, this revelation of God's love, this truth that He has adopted me as a son, that He's adopted you as a child, that He's brought us into His household and He's bestowed His name upon us, is going to cause the world to not know us. When they look at me, I'm a freak. And I've come to appreciate that. And I do have to ask myself from time to time, do I still stand out? Or am I slowly beginning to blend in? And if I find that I'm slowly beginning to blend in, 
then I come to this understanding. I'm slowly beginning to not follow the Holy Spirit and to begin to follow something else. I want to get through the word here with another one of these spiritual paternity tests. Out of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, I want to look at verse 26. This one is simple and straightforward. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. It just simply makes this statement. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now we've spoken about faith on occasion and we've preached messages about it. We've gone through the scripture and we've discussed it. And we could launch off into to entire uh, messages. We could make a series out of it. But to keep things short and simple, to wrap up today what we're receiving from God, it's important for us to understand that as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's about putting our trust in Jesus Christ. You're sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're sons of God through trusting in Him. When we know what we're supposed to do, when we know what Jesus' direction for our life is, we reveal to this world and we walk in that right to be sons of God when we choose to trust His Word, apply it to our life, and put it to practice. When I find that God's Word or the words of Jesus are directing me in a certain direction and I'm choosing to go in another direction, I'm faced with this truth that I am not following the Spirit of God. And if I can turn back from that error, if I can begin to follow after the Spirit of God, I will exercise the right that Jesus gave me to become a child of God. And I'll begin to walk in such a way that I trust the words of my King. When He tells me to wait, I'll wait. When He tells me to move, I'll move. When He tells me to speak, I'll speak. When He tells me to go, I'll go. What He says is what I will do. We've got to begin to follow after the Spirit of God to walk our lives out as children of God. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. You're not going to stand long, but I want to share these closing words. Then I want to pray over us together. There's something that I realized after I became born again, and I mean, as you would know, there's a lot of things I realized after I became born again, but there's one thing particular that I want to share this morning. Before I was born again, according to the scripture, any man that's in Christ is a new creature. Old things pass away and behold, new things come. Before that event happened in my life, I really didn't have a say in matters of sin and corruption. Sin and bondage had a hold on my life and I was subject to it. There were addictions in my life that I hated. I absolutely hated them. They were destroying everything that made life even slightly enjoyable. I was absolutely miserable and I hated everything about my existence. And these things that kept me in bondage were no friends of mine. I found no comfort in them. There were no illusions that those things were, were under my control. Rather, I knew fully... I was in complete slavery to these things. And I would try to break free. I mean, I would try to make choices and decisions that would, would lead to freedom or liberty from, from that uh, rule and reign over my life that was leading to destruction and to death. 
And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't break those chains. I could make decisions and and try to discipline my my actions and try to discipline my mind and try to discipline my heart, but it, it never failed. No matter how long I could hold out with that discipline, it eventually wasn't enough. It would be as if you had a five-gallon bucket of water and you had to hold it out. You could do it for a while, but eventually weakness would prevail. And that was my life forever in that state with no hope of changing until Jesus. And what's amazing to me is when Jesus entered into my life, all of the problems and all of the addictions and all of the bondages, listen to this now and listen carefully, did not go away. But for the first time ever, I had a right. I had a right to be a son of God. I remember the moment I gave my life to Jesus, I could have decided to to continue to live in the same rebellion and make the same choices and do the same things and be the same jerk that I had always been. But for the first time, I actually had a right. And when I said no to those things, there was power and authority behind my no. And when the door was shut to the addiction and the door was shut to the bondage, when I exercised my right as a son of God, being led by the Spirit of God, that door stayed shut for the first time ever. And I want us to ask ourselves, what am I doing with my right to be a son of God? Was was I of the mindset that being a Christian was, was it? That that was a finish line and not a starting line? And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to see becoming a Christian as the starting line where we now begin to exercise our right to be a son of God in the mighty name of Jesus. And when we're faced with trial, tribulation, difficulty, hardship, when we're abused or we're neglected or we're rejected, when pain or suffering or sickness or disease enters into our life and attempts to touch our life, we put to practice our right as sons and daughters, as children of God, and we see heavenly results. Committing to be led by the Spirit of God and letting the fruit of sonship be revealed Righteousness, love, peace, all the things that are of his kingdom revealed and released through our lives. I want to pray this morning and I want to ask God to do something in our minds and in our hearts before we dismiss. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in agreement with me. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the opportunity to stand together praising and worshiping. We thank you for the opportunity to rejoice in gratitude. We thank you for the ministry that we witnessed today. And we thank you for the word that we receive and we're hearing now. We come together and we ask for something to be uh, issued on our behalf. Something to be ordained. Something to come to pass in our minds and in our hearts. Let there be a work done in each one of us. That we would come into the understanding of the right that you've bestowed upon us through Jesus. And let us live lives that constantly exercise that right, that authority to make empowered choices and decisions that destroy the works of the devil and expand your kingdom in and through our existence. Let us know this right. Let us embrace this right. And let us celebrate this right 
to walk as your children, being led by your spirit and carrying the wonderful fruit of your kingdom in the fullness of our existence. We bless your name, we praise you, and we give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.